Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. It's another X-Men X Wednesdays here on X's for Podcast, and today we're going to be taking a look at four awesome X-Men titles. We're going to kick things off with X-Men number seven before turning our attention to a double dose of Iceman with Iceman's Infinity comic, followed by Marauder's Annual, the kickoff to Steve Orlando's run of Marauders. But first things up... I want to talk about Life of Wolverine number two. This Wolverine event has turned into something that really caught my attention. I know I was skeptical with Lives of Wolverine number one, but Life of Wolverine number one really drew me in, helping kind of clarify some of that Enmiriorez confusion, followed by the awesome that was X-Deaths of Wolverine number one. I cannot wait to give you guys the segment where we talk about that. The whole room loved it. This issue of Life of Wolverine is a really interesting issue to talk about, right? Because I feel like in a lot of ways... Origin and Origin 2 and maybe even huge chunks of Origins, there's a lot of stuff in sort of that Wolverine back catalog that kind of strikes some fans the wrong way. And I understand why, and I understand where they're coming from. It's sort of a complex thing when you're trying to navigate a character that has been so many things to so many people, but it is a necessary element if you're trying to holistically look at the character. Now, this issue is written by Jim Zub with art by Ramon Box and Hava Tartaglia and letters by VCs Joe Sabino continuing the trend from last issue. This talks a bit about the sinister connection Logan sees and also Logan entering Madripoor. This one feels perhaps a little bit lighter than some of the Infinity comics we've been talking about lately. Those who checked out our recent Kushala segment probably heard that those were some those were some big boys, right? But this one felt a little bit lighter and I think it's the kind of thing where if they're showing us this, there might be a reason that Ben Percy's hoping to call out to. Maybe this is something that Kieran Gillen, who wrote Origin 2, is going to touch on now that he's returning to the X-Men. Whether it's going to connect to something in the pages of X-Lives and X-Deaths or something elsewhere in the line, it's just a good read. That's one of the things that makes this a really perfect Infinity comic. This is not something I would necessarily have wanted to pay $3.99 for, but it's not something that I believe Marvel would have been able to make a free issue outside of something like a free comic book day. And to chain this event to free comic book day for no other reason than that's when you can give out a free issue, it would have seemed really unnecessary. So I'm really grateful that Marvel is utilizing Marvel Unlimited in this tremendous way and really continuing to push the idea of what they can do with an unlimited comic, especially in conjunction with an event. Now, onto our coverage of the print titles. Kicking things off is X-Men number 7 by Jerry Dugan, Pepe Loraz, and Marte Gracia, with letters by Clayton Cowles. It is so refreshing to hear our whole team say, yes, this series gets better every issue, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear our coverage. And if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see, so don't forget to give us a follow over on Twitter at X's for Podcast. <music> Thank you. 
Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting segment of X's for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter. And I'm TK, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And I'm Broadway, you can find me on uh, Twitter at BWAY3RD, that's B-W-A-Y-3-R-D. Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-D-A. Hi guys, this is Juancho, you can find me on Twitter at LostInCode. X-Men number seven. Holy shit, the art in this issue is fucking phenomenal. Perfection. Like, hands down the best issue yet. I think the writing is also better, but like, if there's one thing Pepe Larraz is gonna fucking do... It's that he's going to draw a bunch of fucked up looking animal people. (laughs) It's like a less campy, better version of the high evolutionaries, like whole like setup. And I fucking need to know everything. And I, that was one of the things, the first things I thought was, it's really interesting that we got these guys a few issues after high evolutionary showed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that they're standing there taking a group photo before they go on their mission. Uh, With like a super old, like (laughs) camera. camera. Nothing but science around them. They also don't get what he means by cheese, cheese. which is one of those writing things that yes. is like perfect. Yes. Like they just say, like, what is cheese? A power, power word. I'm obsessed. Yeah, that was really good. Like, kudos to everybody who worked on this issue. Great issue. The art, yeah, fantastic. While I liked the issue, I'm still having some problems connecting to this run. And something we've talked about in previous episodes is the hope that it continues for quite some time so that the slow buildup that we're getting, which for me is going a little too slow, has time to fully expand and go for a while. If this ends up getting stopped at like issue 12, even issue 18, it will be disappointing to me. I'm down for a slow run, but I need the time to go on like, like Duggan got for Marauders. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. The setup has been slow. Obviously, Scott and Gene are, are huge players, but we've gotten some really big focus on them. And I want to see more of the players that haven't gotten as much chance to shine, like Sink and Sunfire and, and Laura even. like. And it's interesting. We get moments with Sink. Like he has some, he shines a lot, but yeah. they're moments. You know, they're not whole issues. It's not him for four pages having an existential crisis about the fact that now he's forced into a new costume. Like Scott gets, you know. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I feel like on Duggan's part, but I do feel like there's a bit of like maybe whiplash is the right word that they're experiencing. Like we're seeing a lot of this from Cyclops' perspective, and I think he's very used to the kind of high paced superheroism of it all. But I feel like for the others, even with that conversation between Laura and Sync, like you can feel that there's so much stuff happening to this team that they aren't able to like sit down and like have a sort of housewife style lunch and chat about what's going on i hope that's intentional because as an audience member that tension like i feel it and i feel the stress on the team and i hope that begins to like come to the fore i mean even from the last issue with with sunfire and they long like there's just like stuff being thrown at them and they're managing it but they're like in a game that they're not winning this team definitely needs to have like a baseball day yes yes, yes. yes. 
we're doing. Or if I may, a hockey game. I just, we can try something new this time. Oh, yeah. Be fun. It yeah. is winter. Man, Marte Gracia, I, I just get tired of saying how good he is because I don't have like a lot of substantial things to say beyond it's amazing. But like the shine coming off Dr. Satius's neck and specifically like the flex in the water as the animal men are like going out to do his bidding is like so oh, yeah. incredibly gorgeous. It just like, I, it took me out of the entire panel just looking at each fleck and how gorgeous they were and the lighting as mm-hmm. each cross. The pinks up. and the oranges in that panel. I mean, yeah. just such a gorgeous use of color. The oranges on the next section with Cyclops and Emma. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I'm tired of seeing Marge's colors on the on the trees in Cocoa. Oh, yeah. Like I, in the hatchery. I really love the pages with Sink and Scott using the optic glass. Just like the yeah. differences in the coloring of the different reds. It's just like color is such a big part of the story in this issue. Quickly after the title page, we do get into the aftermath page where you've got that really hot Cyclops who's nude, who they jaded more than it should have been. Because <laughs> if you saw the the naked page it was a lot less shaded before but you know it's it's a cute moment for emma to shine even in a book which again brings me to the other problem like hey you know rogue and polaris don't even show up in this issue at all but we do get a really good really good fitting moment between emma and scott so you know i I love that they they need those sort of moments but what did we think about that as a schema shipper and as somebody who has been eating crumbs for so long like i'm very 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 into this scene even though later in the issue it sets up some really strong tension between scott and emma that i think is gonna drive a wedge between them but i mean that's always hot yeah i'm also a schema shipper i am a poly gene scott logan emma like give me every combination and there have been some really great references throughout the last three years to the fact that there's still something between scott and emma but getting that physical contact and that moment where she is the person that's there for him i'm very happy for him and Gene. They seem to be working stuff out. I didn't need them back together, and while I don't dislike it, I'm very happy that this is a time in which we're acknowledging the intense connection between Emma and Scott. Yeah, Scott just looks so goddamn hot. hot. Uh Just the kind of intimacy of the two of them leaning on each other and Scott asking, like, was it a good death? But also, Emma has a very similar energy to Storm, when Storm is like, I'm not trying to die. Like, yeah, you could be resurrected but it's still horrific and traumatizing and also like there's games being played you know like dr stasis like gives scott information to test where the lapses are in resurrection i love that you mentioned the intimacy here because like scott is so cute all snuggled up on emma's shoulder it is is really cozy and it's a really nice moment like everybody i I know everybody's like this is such a hot page and it is a hot page but for me it was like oh it's so and the fact that yeah emma is always upset about a death because the deaths are meaningful to her and they're meaningful to the people who experience them the overwhelming star trek nerd in me when he was like was it a good death it made me think of in star trek they had the yesterday's enterprise and tashi R was asking gynan when she was like oh, hey no. i'm dead and she's like was it you know like was at least a good death and like gynan was like no it was a death without <laughs> yeah, meaning and was i was like, like no, you died awfully <laughs> yeah <laughs> that really gave me some insight into scott being a little bit like that very warrior minded very you know out for the battle very here for the heroics of it so that I think that was probably my favorite scene. If that was just the whole book, it would have been worth every penny for me. But then we get into the earlier where they actually are setting up this battle. How are we feeling about the X-Men first off going into this battle minus so many of their crew and it turning out to be such a monumental battle for them? 
this issue has to accomplish certain story beats and to get there you know we have to have a reason why this is going to be a difficult battle for them so they're down a few people it feels a little odd that they wouldn't be there and that the explanation is so hand wavy yeah it was a bit clunky. That's exactly the right word. You know, Gene not being there really is the important thing because that delivers the what happens with Sync. Missing Rogue and Polaris doesn't feel like it makes a ton of sense. And it's also not a great time to be doing that when we're talking about how we need more than just Scott and Gene. Did you think, like me, that when you read Polaris, Gene, and Rogue are on Arako, I was like, oh, right, because they're going to be in Black Panther number three. Oh. And then I actually did not. I didn't either. They weren't? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy they weren't. They didn't need to be. Honestly, yeah. like the X-Men interaction in that book is almost non-existent and it doesn't really actually matter. It's really more about Storm and Black Panther re-meeting yeah. and gentle appearing. But like, I definitely, when I was reading this issue, I was like, oh, that makes sense though because they're in Black Panther. This is some, you know, inner, inner line crossover, but <laughs> they were not actually there. <laughs> it felt very much like a TV show where like an actor wasn't available or, you know, and they're just like, hey, yeah, they're over here at this party or whatever, you yeah. know? Like, Which of course in comics, never has like you can't forgive it as much because it's like yeah, literally totally could have just put them in there i love rogue but she almost seems unnecessary in this series at this point <laughs> because yeah, especially after the big to do of her leaving uh excalibur where she was really doing stuff she was really doing stuff but i felt like the moment apocalypse was out of that book so was rogue yeah you know what that's fair that is very fair can we just talk about the page where cyclops uses his actual primary mutation incredibly good geometry this yeah. is a combination of everything we've ever seen him do before like his insane off-the-wall geometry his billiards playing i love that he reflects it off one guy into the light instead of yeah, going yeah. <laughs> i love that jerry dugan sh shared on twitter that, that i was that just about to mention that. that is a pepe laraz invention just like i will just bring my genius mind to bear on this as always <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. huge respect for Jerry Duggan for knowing when to say, like, all right, I know that you're going to do the best possible thing with this, so I'm going to turn this over, just, you know, knock him dead. And yes. I, I respect yeah. the hell out of any writer who knows when to do that. I keep posting it on my Instagram story because I'm like, no, friends, like, you need to understand that, like, comics are the shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, this is exactly why, like, it's so well done. And it's one of the only moments where there's, like, a clear sound effect. Like, they don't use them a lot i actually think it's like very effective like you can kind of hear moments through the art without having like a clear kind of onomatopoeia sound effect but like there is one there and it just adds this like classic comics weight to the scene <laughs> yeah and of course yeah. we go to the next page where sync congratulates him and says like i wasn't sure about you at the hellfire gala and it flashes back to what scott's argument was for him He's joining the like, team i am i am the x-men and you know what he 100% correct. It's very easy to read a bad faith reading of this, and I know some people who really hate Cyclops uh, are gonna do that, and I know them personally, but... <laughs> <laughs> like when Scott says I am the X-Men I don't ever read this as him saying like I am the important one I am the leader of the X-Men it's all about me I read this as him saying I embody what the X-Men are because yeah. he does and he always has he's always yes. been that little child soldier like X-Men is the only thing that matters in his life and the fact that his family are X-Men is part of that like Scott 
always has embodied the X-Men, just like Kate for the longest time always embodied the dream. It's just like, it's part of who they are, his character. With Scott, also, he's played every role in the X-Men. He's played headmaster, he's played team leader. He, like, Storm has led the team, like, he's been off the team. Like, he really does embody the spirit of the team because he's done every role. It's not just like, I am the X-Men because I'm in charge. I always like when other characters remind everyone that Cyclops is like this huge badass and when since said but like i thought you were like full of it and you're like just bragging but you were not lying i don't think he's ever met cyclops in generation x so like he got resurrected went into the vault and then like 500 years later i would also be like uh this dude's full of shit and then you see it <laughs> yeah. like, okay maybe he has a point <laughs> cyclops is the one who sent him in the vault i could see him coming yeah. out and being like hmm and i love the use of their powers together like that bottom part of that page there is just so fucking epic with them both unleashing optic glass yeah. yep. and then we get into that cute page or at least Laura gets a line where she's like "Litches get stitches like I was like okay I don't know I, I have a bit of a problem with that page I think that's more of a something that, that uh, Gabby would say and not something that Laura would say I don't know yes and also that is not a lich yeah <laughs> that, that's true that's true this page is sort of my only like very small issue with this comic is that we have we're down three members of the team but like Laura does basically nothing Ugh, the entire so right issue and Singh just had that page about how cool Cyclops is and then the other page when where like TK said it was just like a plot recent page to yeah. show that he can absorb Jean's power from super far away so I think like what what was the point then of removing three characters if you're not gonna show off the other the rest of the cast except for Cyclops Laura is a character that I think if you're not really going to commit to taking her to a Logan level and making her Wolverine it's going to fall flat no matter what no matter how cool she is if she is not really at that same like power and activity and resolve it just comes off as like what a waste sometimes people fall into the trap of writing her like logan and it's like you can't she's not logan you can't no, write she's her, her own person way. yeah unbreakable will like that's what yeah. she got from him but she goes about it entirely differently and oh, it's gotta God, yeah. be like that yeah i think adding to your point tk is that if you're gonna have laura as wolverine you got you have to make her a focus yeah. I, like at least for yeah. one issue or or a couple yeah. of issues and so far we have seven issues and she's not really been a focus of any of them because even in this issue like she like sunfire got some moments to shine sync got some moments to shine and, and and a big sort of reveal that we'll talk about very soon but like laura just kind of is there and she didn't really add anything to the story on like if logan had been there like they would have had logan save the fucking day you know kind of thing and i mean she's on the cover for x-men number 10 but i don't know i mean i just don't know if people can wait that long to have yeah, that's that, that's a yeah. big ask you're right yeah, and it it maybe won't be as big of an ask if this runs like in the long term. If this is like a fifty issue run, but because we don't know how long this run is gonna last, like there is a yeah. bit of impatience, and I'm very trust the process with the writers. But also, I mean, as somebody who like you know is not super familiar with Laura on like a one to one basis, I'd like to read more of her. Like I would like to get to know her better. And that sort of speaks to like our love for some of these characters and our want to 
get to know them a lot more. I mean, we've all we're all very positive on this this issue. Like this was a well constructed issue. Like I I love the, the fight. I love everything about it. And it's just just the fact that we really do want to get to know more about Laura and where she is in this Krakoan era, especially after the vault incident, is is just something that I, I really want to see explored. And I know that's that's what I'm getting that y'all want to see too. Is just like let's get more fucking Laura. Come on, she's fucking amazing. So we do get that amazing reveal too about Think is able to either sync up with Jean Grey all the way from Araco or he's starting to develop sort of like a muscle memory almost like Mimic in some ways. I'm a bit of like two minds on this because I actually like really like the idea that Omegas were very limited but I also like that Sync's getting to be one so I, yeah, I don't I mean, know if I like the idea that more Omegas are coming because it's not going to stop at one you know. Yeah yeah in the Krokoan era with mutants able to support each other to experiment with their powers to do things like form circuits that we would discover more as long as it really doesn't go overboard and you know the fact that this is not treated as like a oh good power up bro like it's <laughs> yeah it's a big deal we get a whole data page about it did anybody else think it was super weird that right after the page of cecilia reyes saying like we don't know what's going on but he's getting stronger right after that they show us a page where they're like oh there's telepathic networks from here to mars that could easily explain yeah what the happening. hell yep. yeah it's like why undercut this moment for sync immediately by saying like oh i mean like like, they're not saying it went through the network, but like this page seems designed to say like this is absolutely possibly why this was possible. Right. <laughs> but it, it also says the X Men know about it, so I don't think I don't think this is the case because like why wouldn't they make that connection? Not Cecilia, but like Sink himself and Sunfire. Yeah. Putting two in a row that are like long ones, like, yeah. contradictory at the very end is a weird choice. Yeah. And it's at the end of the book. I feel like the placement is also a little weird. I'm sure that the Forge stuff will be picked up on because like i i do love like the concept of krakoan technology as just like a whole different like realm of technology like the idea of using like mutant brains to do like telepathic <laughs> satellite wi-fi is like super cool to me but i do think it is a bit out of place here because we don't actually get to see its relevance to the plot i love that the five are like absolutely this is a weird abomination we should probably not do this and xavier's like no that's fine use mine I five of them go ahead <laughs> I mm -hmm. cool. he's always doing stuff like that. I mean, he's given his husks to Proteus, so yeah, this, you know, yeah. this dude is always just green lighting shit. Where he's yeah. like, "Yeah, use my body for crazy things. Go for it." <laughs> <laughs> In terms of the sync of it all, I do love that, you know, not just, so he has this, like, obvious, like, dope feet, but then, like, it costs him, right? Like, it, like, yeah. he faints afterwards, yep. uh, which I think is important, right? That, like, if he is evolving into an Omega-level mutant, like, it is not coming easily, and I think that that being spread, this narrative being spread from X-Men number five with Hickman to, I think, 18 and 19 to now like makes sense to me and that's the kind of like long-term building of the cohen era that i really appreciate yeah also, some people have compared it to Hope and sort of been like, uh, well, like, can we have two Omegas? Which the answer is yes, Quentin Quire and Jean Grey. <laughs> yep. But, like, I also think their powers are different because mm -hmm. Hope synchronizes other people around her as well and, like, mm -hmm. amplifies or diminishes their powers. Whereas, like, uh, like Sync sort of takes a photocopy of people's powers. Yeah. Yep. I want to point out something in this issue, in that data page. Uh, Cecilia says that Sync, his mind 
over five centuries old. I was going to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, this sort of reminded me that, that maybe he not necessarily has to be an Omega-level mutant, but he can be... I'm going to make a weird comparison. I've heard this other other places, but they mm-hmm. teach a hammer, and I'm like a scalpel. Mm-hmm. So I think that Sink's mind being so old, he can use his powers in so many advanced ways that nobody, even he, doesn't know about yet. And that does not necessarily mean he's an Omega. But I think it'd be cool if he was. Do we think that that revelation has implications like mutants are functionally immortal now with the resurrection protocols and will have infinite and unlimited time to grow and develop their powers and each resurrection actually resets the body to they've said a more to more be in tune with their ability because they're actually born with them instead of having been you know born baseline human and the powers emerge i don't know that's not exactly how it works but you know puberty emerge powers so do we think with the functional immortality of mutants and Krakoa say Krakoa were to develop for a thousand years under the same set of operating parameters would the mutants of Krakoa be more powerful almost like we've seen the mutants of Arako which seem to be a lot more baseline powerful than the Koans. yes and I think this is Apocalypse's grand design as like all in all yeah I mean it's you know the this is how you become the fittest to survive by creating community lifting each other up experimenting creating circuits it's this you're you're absolutely right i think this is exactly what apocalypse was looking for mm-hmm. i don't think if it were to go on for a thousand years we would see everybody turn into an omega level mutant um I think that you'd probably discover more, but you would get mutants that really understood and embraced their powers without fear. And because of that, everybody would be more powerful just by default. Yeah, like they can find the limits of their power way more easily than they did before. Right. And that makes them more powerful than necessarily like an arbitrary power level number or whatever. Yeah, and plus they can do things together that they could never have achieved on their own. And yeah, a mutant circuit could be. Like a circuit could become way more powerful powerful than any omega like if you yes very good regular mutants i think sink's power is like such a good embodiment of that because like that's who he is as a mutant is somebody who like enhances other people's abilities and who can only work when he's around other mutants and so like he's a mutant who says like community is necessary and it is strong yeah. now, now we need a, a hope and sink team up like to take up when they take on the eternals in judgment war <laughs> yes oh, sink and so. mimic just like all of them just like all. I, I think they're going to be with the eternals against druid and thanos but if you go back and read the the kind of Arako flashbacks from Genesis and Summoner, it's super clear that they were doing, like, they talk about, like, mutant alchemists and stuff. Like, they were doing some next-level mutant circuits, and I think that's something that, you know, we should keep an eye out for. Like, they made those, like, ten towers that were, like, murking all of the demons and whatnot. Um, also, this is kind of the tragedy of the cancellation of X-Factor, because that's exactly what Prodigy was looking into, was, yes. like, the effects of yep. the bodies, right? Because, like, they're making these new bodies, and we know that from a prior Cecilia Reyes data page that, like, resurrection is restorative for the five. It's, like, a therapeutic process, yes. so they're unintentionally making people better. They're mm-hmm. also, like using Krakoa's materials, there's always, like, this weird specter of Krakoa's face, and you're always like, what are you up to? (laughs) Like, what are you 
like how are you programming these people like what are you up to but i don't know there's something like that i wish that you know for a variety of reasons i wish x factor was still around but specifically so we could get into the corpses and whatnot yeah and then you throw into account data pages like in x-force where quentin choir has been subtly manipulating his genetic yes he's been making a more perfect version of himself every time he gets resurrected so what other mutants could be doing that and making subtle manipulations in other genetic code to like just elevate the whole thing and that's that's without the idea of chimeras like coming into play in the future like there's just so there's resurrection brings so many cool unique ideas to it and I'm, i really would love to see all of that play out yeah the arc is obviously setting up dr stasis to be a more substantial villain for this x-men team his henchmen are truly evil, you know, yeeting a fetus. Like, come on. <laughs> on Christmas, no less. Like that I know. tree got blown up. <laughs> <laughs> like in a cyclops is catching the baby, his henchmen's like, ha ha, you to die now. And then just slashes. Yeah. The art makes it hard to see, but I guess he slashed his throat, but it looks like he just slashed his back on that. So that one I'm like, wait, oh, how did they slash his throat? But so you've got Cyclops very publicly dying, saving a baby, which is great for the X-Men, you know, great for the X-Men to go out saving a human baby. Great PR. But, you know, now we have to have Captain Krakoa. And I love, what do we think about this battle and setting up Dr. Stasis as this overall overarching sort of villain coming up? I love him. I'm I'm so interested in this. I, a lot of people out there saying he's a Sinister clone and like, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I don't think so either. And first no. of all, he doesn't look like Sinister. Like we, we see him in the fireman outfit, but like also like i don't care for that let's let's not do that that's that's silly uh i just like this new interesting villain but there's obviously something going on such that we're hiding his face like we're getting a reveal on that yeah uh, uh yeah absolutely okay. like i prefer him to be even the high evolutionary but like I'd yeah sure that would make so much really sense like him being anybody we know like yeah me either i actually like the kind of triangulation between him sinister and the high evolutionary who's sort of outside of the human mutant drama like that i like them as comparables not as the same person yeah, yeah absolutely I, i'd be happy yeah. if the face reveal was just that he looks somebody, somebody we know <laughs> he just like is jacked up or is an animal himself who the hell knows but i would be perfectly happy if that reveal was not surprise it's somebody you knew all along <laughs> like if they take off his mask and they're like finally i see it's some dude some guy yeah like, which, is, like, which should always have happened with peter parker right if peter parker gets unmasked it's like nobody knows this fucking freelancer for the daily bugle right. <laughs> yeah. face, who's you know when they're with forge and jupiter nation then they show off like the new costume yeah i got a little bit confused about the timeline here so some someone you can clarify or maybe you also got confused so cyclops just got resurrected and went to the council right yeah like immediately after he, he came back so why is he talking about his conversation with Ven Yurik that was later I don't think he's in the council right then right after dying I think that that yeah. is actually a cut to the end of the last issue which I know is very confusing but I think that's the only yeah way. it's because they're showing off the costume right yeah. so that's that's what made me why would they show off the costume again if he's already made a public <laughs> yeah. appearance maybe he got some hint that Yurik didn't know about resurrection and then called him again to have that conversation and really like confirm um that that was the case yeah but i do agree that it is 
confusing. Yeah, it's a bit of yeah. wonky timeline yeah. again, but it, it's like a line-wide issue now. <laughs> yeah, I, I genuinely think this is just Forge looking at it and being like, man, I did a good job. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. But it I'll buy it. Hot spot. <laughs> Back to Dr. Stasis briefly, like, I do think it's very interesting. I want to see his relationship with Fei Long more. I mean, like, obviously we're just not getting that much interior on the villains, which I think helped make them ooky spooky, but yeah. like, the way in which the two of them are sort of waging two kind of human technological wars against the mutants like dr stace is waging the kind of genetics war and then fei long is waging the kind of you know final frontier space war and both clearly like besmirched by mutants like asserting themselves in the world and like on two different fronts i think that's i don't know something about that the duality of that is really cool to me i don't know exactly like what it is but something about like the fact that the mutants piss off everyone by working together like makes me happy yeah i completely agree with that it's uh it, and we're starting to get hints all over that this is making people upset you know we saw in marauders that there's a whole group of humans and mutants who hate what's happening here i like that krakoa is disturbing things for people people talk a lot about this sort of irrational hatred of mutants right because it is by nature like super rational when you've got like the fantastic four running around like the average person does not know who's a mutant and who's a mutate but I find it super interesting in comparison to Wakanda because like, Wakanda is allowed to exist. And I think it's just because it has for a while and there's a sense of like you can't do anything about it. Whereas like Krakoa feels new and that is activating a certain level of fragility that is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you're moving too fast, which like anybody who tells you like progress is happening too fast, it's not your ally. Um, <laughs> so true. I wish I think, like That's Marauders is helping to like amplify that, right? That, like those humans were like we were your ally like I, having you know been to many a black lives matter protest you you have seen who's like your ally and who's like wait a minute you're being a little too loud oh. and I, I like that that's coming to the fore that like there's a central problem which is that human identity is being built on like in contrast to mutantdom instead of having its own foundations and values yeah and Psylocke said that in, in the Marauder Journal too that just because mutants are getting a place of their own doesn't mean that humans are getting anything taken away from them right yep. and I mean literally so nobody was living on Krakoa they just like moved somewhere else yeah which like isn't that what you want like <laughs> it really points out in a way that you know people who maybe wouldn't have thought of that are gonna see it like you know how like the idea of you know the, the people in charge are gonna want to keep their power they see the mutants gaining their own power so they're gonna try to use their levers of power to keep the power by inciting fear and instilling it in people who maybe wouldn't have even normally cared but are gonna sit there and you know, say oh yeah no we could we could die at any moment i guess because the mutant could blow down our house or, or however they want to put it so they're instilling the fear in the people to keep their levels levers of power going it's just amazing idea and it's really nice to actually see it spelled out in common and meanwhile the person who's most likely to blow everybody up is reed richards like, <laughs> yeah if everybody's in the negative zone rain, now like if you're reading devil's reign dr octopus fully just took over his building and it's like you know what i'm gonna use this like interdimensional portal for my needs and it's like that's unsafe 
leave. I also don't think that's like up to building code. Like I just don't think <laughs> that. I can't have a dog. Did he run that through the co-op board? I wonder. <laughs> not. But I also feel like Reed is the co-op board yeah. of the Baxter building. Like he's like, no, it's just the council of one. <laughs> yeah. And I think that really speaks to the fact that we can get on these real tangents with this issue really speaks to the strength of the issue itself and the direction we kind of see it going in. And I, and I love that. What do we think about the brewing war that, you know, that's bubbling under right now, but, you know, that that's probably going to happen between the X-Men team and the Quiet Council with the revelation or the idea that one of the council members, either Charles or Emma, erase Yurik's memory of resurrection. Uh, I'm on Team X men here uh just, i mean like the the quiet council has colossus on it that's enough <laughs> yeah it's, it's all it's all fucked it's going down like it's not yeah. it has xavier on it exodus sinister colossus and xavier on it and we also know that they also basically did the same thing xavier did after inferno they're keeping things away from the rest of that people because so they're not good they're, i mean they never were but they're still not good even after taking out power from from charles and eric Moira. Yeah. And they're undermining the point of this X-Men team, which was to have a superhero team that was not beholden to the council. And now, like, you know, they're like, no, you have to do this Captain Krakoa thing. I feel like that tension that came up in, what was it, X-Men 15, right before they went to go save everyone in Otherworld, I feel like that tension is brewing again because, like, this was the point. Yeah, and they're dropping, quote-unquote, heroic members of the council day by day at this point. <laughs> from a wider perspective i love the dramatic tension of this it absolutely makes total sense the council's really problematic the x-men are superheroes i can absolutely see why this in on page this war needs to happen and you know there are as many problems for krakoa as there are amazing things i will keep saying the same thing as many opportunities as i get to in hopes that somebody hears it while i love all this darkness and stuff i need some slice of life i need some happy yeah. krakoans in the mix because all of these dark moments are starting to weigh on me and I believe in the promise of Krakoa and I want to see it for like the citizens of Krakoa. Yeah, absolutely because we've seen yeah. we've seen so many almost every book we've seen somebody realizing that, that they need to make a break or keep stuff from the Quiet Council so obviously this reveal in X-Men we had North Star talking to Danny Moonstar about you know the keeping the expanded power sets of his team away keeping that a secret from the council yeah. so there's, there's a lot of crap in the society that I thought might have come to head in Inferno and maybe some of this will be coming to head in Immortal X-Men because it's a council-based book so I really can see a lot of that coming in but like UTK I really believe in the promise of Krakoa and I want to see Krakoa continue and thrive and the mutants to thrive I want you know no name random mutant who showed up here to like go live and have a happy life and just like be able to be themselves and yes. I don't want everything to be doom and gloom is it like it when we started out with house of x and powers of 10 it really presented us something like krakoa was this magic place that everybody could go and they had these big rave parties where siren would yell at dazzler and they would have light shows so like yes. i want to see that promise fulfilled yep yeah i mean I, I i'm also reading black panther and and that book is kind of engaging some similar problems right which is that like nationhood and like statehood is messy i mean welcome yeah. to these united
United States and like maintaining that the sort of security apparatus that needs to go into that is all very messy and I, I don't know if it's never gonna be if it's ever gonna be not messy but I think the thing that would balance it out like you guys said is the slice of life like I really liked when the X-Men were like yo we're giving out food and yeah. Yeah. medicine yeah like, things like that where it's just like oh like because I think that when you're stuck in the council chambers it's like you're steeped in the mess right and like you forget <laughs> that like there are just citizens who are like no let's do nice stuff like I think that's also going to be the beauty of this new run of marauders where like they're recentering on just rescuing people and like taking on like taking care of the Morlocks right like some yeah. of those issues where it's like no like we need to be a tribe and like look out for people so yeah I, I could use more slice of life specifically from X-Men Hey everybody, Nico here one more time. Now here's a double dose of Iceman for you. Kyle and TK sat down to talk about the Marvel Unlimited Infinity comic featuring Iceman before a whole crew of us came together to discuss that real sexy issue of Marauders by Steve Orlando. We hope you guys enjoy. We love making this show for you guys three times a week, every week. Magic Mondays, X-Men X Wednesdays, and Marvel Fanfare Fridays. So until we come back with another Marvel Fanfare Fun Friday... Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Let's get more mutants in hot tubs. Enjoy these last two segments, and we'll see you. Back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at Marvel's mutants, magic, and many New Year's resolutions week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. I'm Kyle, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And today we are talking about the Mighty Marvel Holiday Special Iceman's New Year's Resolutions with words and art by Luciano Vecchio and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. That is quite a mouthful of a title. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it's a very uh, small list of credits, so it kind that of balances is very out. True. <laughs> a little bit late covering this, but it's a special issue, and I constantly complain about the lack of slice of life moments in the Krakoa era, mm -hmm. and we got one. We got a nice little Bobby taking himself out on a date. Oh, gosh. It was so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> My first read through, I was a little bitter about it. I'm always very critical of the Bobby moments and really of any queer storytelling that we get right now, because even though we're in like the queerest X-Men, like blatantly on the page, queerest X-Men era, we're still not getting as much as I want. So when something comes up, I tend to pick at it maybe a little more than I ought to. But going through this a second and a third and a fourth time, I sort of started to fall in love with it. Yeah, I can understand that a lot of times these can feel very formulaic. I feel like this one, because it was focused solely on Bobby and that we didn't have a lot of interactions with other characters, it allowed us to really just get inside of his head a lot. We really got to better understand who he was as a character through this. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, you know, we're a few years into Bobby having come out as a teenager and as an adult, then forgetting and then immediately remembering. So, you know, the, the coming out process for Bobby was a unique and complicated one. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we had the two wonderful Iceman solo series, which... Mm -hmm. 
I think had to spend a lot of time, not even retconning, but going over all of Bobby's history in a way that sort of allowed us to reconcile the new status quo of Bobby's being gay. But we did not have as much internal stuff. It was a lot of external working through things, you know, going to every girlfriend and addressing the elephant in the room. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. That did happen, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, it sure did. (laughs) And it was very intense and it it was not uncalled for. I mean, uh, you know, Cena Grace is an excellent person to write it. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's ever had the experience of at one point identifying as straight or bisexual and dating women and then coming out as gay, that is a very real thing that happens with real consequences. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a character with decades of backstory with women. And it made sense to take the time to do the stories. Mm. But we, in that time, I don't think we got so much of Bobby's internal process, especially as it relates to an idea of his sort of being unable to move forward and change and take the next step in his life. Even after those two series, when he's been interacting with the rest of the X-Men, we really don't get a lot of time spent with him exploring it. We get moments where he kind of makes himself the joke of things. Like in the first Marauders where he wanted to see the top men or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, It was a lot of making jokes of who he was instead of just reflecting and learning and growing through it. So his queer identity is going to be something that's in flux and changing. I think there because he is one of the original five and he is such an iconic character. I'm sure there is some editorial mandate to not let him go too far away from a normative path. You know, he is mm-hmm. he's got a steadfast boyfriend or if they're not sure what they are, it's still like a pretty straightforward dating situation. You know, he's not even really playing any kind of field and he is a reliable teammate that isn't really stirring the pot. You know that he'll be there. You know that he'll be very powerful, but he is not going off on queer adventures to like finally explore his homosexuality, which I get why we're not getting that. But in trade, having these moments where we really start to understand who he is and, you know, get hints at least of the intention for growth in the future, I think is a positive portent for where this character could go in the Krakoa era. There are so many opportunities for Bobby, especially now that he's uh, taking a step away from the Marauders. I think that we're going to get we're, we're going to see some great growth with him moving forward. And I'm glad we're covering this now because we're doing it after the Marauders annual. That's true. Which had a couple really great Bobby moments. Nobody's really quite sure what was happening in the hot tub with Christian and Somnus. <laughs> um, you know, maybe Maybe he is, you know, having more gay adventures than I'm giving him credit for. Well, I mean, Somnus was allowing him to explore in a more safe for Bobby yeah. environment. It's an opportunity for somebody who spent so much of his life closeted to be more open. Right. And I think it was great that it was Somnus because you yeah. know, we know from Somnus, who was also dealing with issues of being in the closet and not getting to live the life that he wanted to with 
with Wolverine's son, Akihiro. He's now been resurrected. He will now be a member of the Marauders. And Yay. yeah, we're, I'm stoked to have him there. So I, th- I think putting those characters right on the page together and sort of identifying queer solidarity within Krakoa was a good moment. Definitely. So in this issue, it is a very straightforward story. Bobby is taking himself on a little outing to New York City to see the passing of the new year and watch the ball drop in Times Square. He makes clear that he will then hop the portal and go back to Krakoa, which, you know, my first problem with this, the first time I read it was like, why is he not celebrating New Year's with Christian? That's the story I want. (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that. But I mean, New York has been such a large part of his life. I can understand wanting to be there in the crowd for something that is such a big tradition when it comes to New Year's. Yeah, absolutely. It makes total sense to me. Again, like upon multiple readings, I was like, this is actually super cute. And he is going to go back to Kakoa and celebrate with his boyfriend. It's fine. Yeah. And I have a feeling that Christian's not really one to be standing in the middle of a gigantic crowd where you're all crushed amongst each other. And I completely respect that. (laughs) And as he watches the ball drop, as it hits six, it stalls out. So this was actually my favorite part of the of the book. Um, yeah, I, I loved the way that this issue utilized the Infinity technology because I, as you're scrolling, the ball is dropping, the numbers are changing, and then you get to the point where the the numbers don't change, and you're like, "What is going on?" And you keep scrolling, and you realize that the world has frozen. Infinity Comics, as a format, give us the opportunity to have. Different different kinds of motion Mm -hmm. and we're literally dropping the pages with the ball dropping until you get to this moment where you are still in motion as you go forward but the action that on the page has stopped comics themselves give us a lot of special ways to depict things Mm -hmm. and infinity comics can't do everything that a comic book does but they, they marvel has used this technology wisely a lot of times in their books to give us something that you could only get in one of these issues and i enjoy it a lot they've been kind of hit or miss for me but i think that the ones that depict motion like this just really stand out so much and they work so well that's what really sells it for me yeah that original x-men book where you know you're you're scrolling through space Mm -hmm. and the thing I, i immediately made me think of is seeing the Star Destroyer in the first Star Wars come on to frame. Yes, yes. You get that same kind of motion. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they are definitely hit or miss, but the smart artists are the ones who take a moment to look at this particular format and give you something that makes you sort of a more active participant in the scrolling through. Mm -hmm. So Bobby realizes something is wrong, and then we get a line that I am still not sure what to do with. Okay, so... So it wasn't me, just me. <laughs> Where he st- he starts to ice himself up and says, "When we up in the cube, all ice on me," and bursts out of the ice in his ice form. Bobby, he sees um. Like I choose to believe this is brilliant writing, and he <laughs> is this much of a dork. He is. He really is. He loves his puns. He loves his jokes. It's totally Bobby. It's perfectly him. 100% Bobby, and it, it really works. I, I love it. And of course, we get, the as I mentioned, the full page shot of him. It's like more than a page. Bursting out of the ice, you know, in all his Iceman glory with his little X underpants on. 
<laughs> Luciano Vecchio is an incredible artist. His mm-hmm. style is... Oh, his style is so good. It's beautiful. It's a little bit anime-esque. Mm-hmm. It's just the right side of cutesy, where characters can still look very adult. And, you know, Bobby looks really handsome. He's got stubble, you know, his, his brown hair is peeking out of his cap. But it's animated it has a very cartoonish quality in a way that you know obviously every artist is different and books benefit from having a more realistic design sometimes and sometimes a more animated one in this case i think it works perfectly yeah i agree it's animated but it feels warm it feels inviting it feels alive yeah and and very expressive it's very expressive and i mean there are just like so many interesting details to it too like once bobby changed into his ice form you can actually still see his stubble yeah that's a really great interpretation of his transformation yeah it's fantastic detail work so bobby in his ice form skates up to the where the ball has stopped where he discovers our antagonist for the issue ixalan who's <laughs> not a character i was particularly familiar with but he is a giant ice warrior who is intending to use the collective ritual of all these people People gathered with their focus at this one point to bring forth his armies and conquer Earth, I guess. I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's a straightforward plan. He had the most important details worked out. He maybe should not have done it in the hub and center of all superhero activity pretty interesting that it's just one dude who was here on vacation that is the one who deals with it we're gonna let it all go this is bobby's moment to shine i mean he is the one who has the most control over the cold so it's true kind of fits that this creature that has supposedly supreme control over ice in his plane of existence because bobby really as omega level a mutant with ice powers would be the one with supreme control over cold and ice in the marvel universe so yeah it's yeah. kismet that they met here oh, yeah <laughs> you're correct bobby is an omega level mutant with his control over ice this is something that we know on paper but bobby often has trouble embracing mm-hmm. in the start of this battle he's throwing ice at this guy who's pointing out to him that like i'm powered by ice this really is not going to go very well for you bobby continues to fight and then has that realization that bobby tends to often need to have in battles which is oh i'm incredibly powerful there's not really any limit to what i can do this guy is powered by ice i can control his power source i don't just need to throw ice at him and power him up i can decide how what happens to the ice on this plane and very quickly he says i'm no sorcerer supreme but the ice and cold you need to make this body in this plane i am the master of it and once i absorb it all you'll be nothing Mm -hmm. that section of art is absolutely stunning with with him kind of towering over Ixalan and his powers just kind of growing him absorbing the ice and the cold and he's radiant in a way that isn't like warmth but it's like the radiance of sun reflecting off of ice yeah yeah Yeah. it's very bright Mm -hmm. it is 
celebratory. Yeah, yeah, it's celebratory and it shows his power. We get a shot of the environment around him as he's pulling all this ice in. We get this close-up of Ictalon's face as it is sort of breaking down from Bobby's control. And then again, we get another really gorgeous shot of mm -hmm. Bobby covered in shards of ice, breaking this guy apart. And rejecting his claim that he'd be able to use the energies of the crowd to create a era of despair because of the glacial properties of his powers. Yeah. And instead, New Year's is a time of hope. Yeah, he calls it an invocation of hope. Yes. That whatever comes next can only be better. Mm -hmm. And that transitions us into this moment where he has shattered the sky, restarted the ball, and he begins to reflect on his life as he physically descends down from the top of the building that he was at. And he mentions, you know, traumatic mutant awakening, daddy issues, found family, time traveling, coming out, forgetting it. <laughs> Self-repression, champion, defender, omega-level mutant, what love life? Christian, what's our thing even about? You see him sort of remembering saying to him, mm -hmm. living for the X-Men cause, putting everything and everyone before myself. And then that's right as he says that we hit one and it's the new year. And again, just another gorgeous shot of Bobby in motion on the ice slide. Ugh. If you haven't taken a look at it, it's a gorgeous, you know, you can't even call it a set of panels because it's a lot more than mm -hmm. that. The way this is done is very smart again we're talking about that motion thing as we scroll down through the counting ball bobby physically descending from this building and then descending through his whole life story with some really great you know iconic bobby moments my favorite being him in his ice form in you know his 90s costume with the hole in his chest saying omega level mutant with emma frost behind him that person who was constantly poking at him possessing him at one point and figuring out things to do with his power that he never knew mm -hmm. you know the fact that he's dating her brother if it were any other situation that was similar to this it might be a little bit creepy but everything about it and their history just so works for me that i love the idea that when bobby finally came out and all the ducks were in a row of course the person that he wanted to date was emma frost's brother <laughs> i'm not really familiar with that period when he was learning that he was an omega level mutant knowing a little bit of that back Background, it's fitting that he's kind of tied himself to their family like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the 90s, Emma was in a coma and at one point woke up, possessed Bobby's body, and immediately could do things that Bobby never even dreamed of doing. Oh. And when she gives it back to him, he asks, how did you do that? And she essentially says, I'm not going to tell you, you need to figure it out. And not super subtextually is saying to him, you need to come out because it is keep it is holding you back from being the person that you need to be. In classic 90s Emma fashion especially she's a little bit nastier than she would be I think as written Morrison and after mm -hmm. but she really is trying to be an ally and to say you could do any of this stuff you just need to figure your shit out oh okay that's cool yeah you know their history is one that I would not mind seeing even more of and the fact that they are now tied together through family mm -hmm. gives me hope that we'll get to have some of that and we wrap this issue up with a kiss in a heart-shaped frame oh. <laughs> between Iceman and a stubbly bearded gentleman that we on the next as we scroll down come to realize is Bobby kissing an ice sculpture of himself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, goodness. It tells you everything you need to know. It, it really does. This is the up in the cube joke. Like, this is Bobby Drake right here. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate mean, this humor. He he has had history of making ice sculptures of himself. So yeah. I can see him doing this. And yeah. he, he does need somebody to kiss out for New Year's. Precisely. You know, again, <laughs> it was one of those moments where the first read through, I was like, this is weird. He should be kissing his boyfriend. Why is he kissing an ice sculpture of himself? but in the subsequent read-throughs it's just funny and stupid Mm -hmm. it's a classic bobby move Mm -hmm. and we get one final again just beautiful shot bobby in motion on an ice slide bursting up through the page and we close out we do and we get one little hint that he will be back so it kind of sounds like they are going to have some more Iceman specific stories coming up in the future. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. Bobby yeah. is a classic standard for a character. I never really get tired of him. And with yeah. this whole new chapter of his life, really just having started to unfold with so many mis- mysteries around Christian, mm-hmm. his background, his powers, their connection to Emma, the Marauders. I think there is no shortage of places we could find Bobby. And I really can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next as well we've gotten him to where he needs to be it's time to have some adventures as you know bobby in the right place Mm -hmm. hey everybody welcome back to exits for podcast the show we take a look at comics mutants magic and annuals week after week through their many annual i guess i guess an annual is only one seat so it's not week i'm nico and you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n hey guys i'm evelyn the comic canary you can find me on instagram and twitter at comic underscore canary hey i'm tk you can find me on twitter and instagram at x nate x gray x and I'm Steven. You can find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder and on Facebook as an admin for the House of North Star Group. I'm Josh Will. You can find me on Twitter at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L, and at asleepatthewheel.com. And from now until November 8th, as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at joshwheel.org. And I am super excited to have called together this spectacular cavalcade of comic creatives to talk about what is pretty much one of the most defining milestone moments of the post-Inferno era we've had so far. And it doesn't sound like that's been a lot of time, but like everything that's happening right now feels like an event. So yeah, it kind of is, right? We're going to be taking a look at Marauders Annual Number 1. Now, this is the debut issue from new writer Steve Orlando with art by Chris Lee, colors by the now ex-stable veteran Rain Barreto, letters by VCs Corey Pettit with design by Tom Muller. Of course, a number of incredible covers were released with this title, but most of note was would be Russell Dowderman and Matthew Wilson, who have contributed to this series time and time again in different ways. But Dugan's era, done. Orlando's era, opening. How does everybody feel about this idea of a change off of title sort of in this middle of nowhere time? Like this is a, like if this was some sort of super hyper Christian parable, like this is ordinary time. Jesus just doesn't come back in the middle of ordinary time. <laughs> so how do you guys feel about this relaunch in the middle of the nothing? 
I mean, I like where we're at era-wise. I really like that post-Inferno, we're doing a big kind of switch at once. If anything, I think the ones that aren't switching, like it feels a little weird that New Mutants is just kind of like moving along the same, which isn't bad because it's a great book, but... It's remaining um, stable mutants. It's Yes, it's kind of keeping course at, while we're having a big reset. I like the idea of kind of like season breaks, like television with comics. I think that, you know, if you're organizing group comics and you try to you know, have timelines going in where writers can, you know, dovetail things together, where events can kind of be breaks for artists or writers to hop on, hop off and have, you know, your big kind of changes and new seasons start at the same time. I think it, it makes things easier to trade. It makes things easier to read and follow. I like this idea. I like feeling that we're in this kind of like it's the start of a new season and um, moving forward with the Krakoan era. Okay, so you just sold me on the transition omnibus that should be made from all of these issues. All right, Josh, already, I'm more into this issue than I was before. Let's keep going. You know, it's like, you know, when a show breaks and then for some reason they decide to do like the summer season because we're getting... Like the beach club. Exactly. Like the formative beach club. Precisely. In his chest hair changed me. This is Saved by the Bell working at the beach club, yes. We're getting content. We're not getting the same stacked release of books every week that we've gotten for the past almost three years but we're getting these interesting pieces that are building something that come april will go back to a more regular schedule like we're used to but in the meantime it's not you know i had originally been referring to it as the fallow time but it, i that was incorrect like there is a lot to dig into in this time it's just not the same as what we've been used to for the past while and it's weird to say that it's not stacked release because for the month of January and like the month of February, there is definitely less stuff overall. But I had two oversized issues and one normal size issue from the X office come out in the exact same week this week. Like there, oddly enough, yes. there's a, a significant amount of reading material for this particular release week, whether that was intended or not. Yeah, for sure. Evelyn, one of the things that I love about the perspective you bring to this show is both you can sit here and verify the veracity of the biological experiments that they're doing in these issues. Big fan. But another thing I love is your recent experience working in a comic shop. How did it feel to you as somebody who was like watching fans react live? These sort of like lighter weeks with heavier books, this like kind of transition-y period. How does that play out for you as a fan and as it related to like seeing Seeing it in fandom. Even though I no longer work in a comic book shop, I still go every Wednesday morning. So I still get to see these moments and be part of these conversations. And sadly, I'm one of the fewer X fan at my current shop. But I had a really great conversation this week, actually, with a couple people talking about how the X office is kind of changing and I'm very optimistic. And that kind of seems to be the feeling this old era was amazing, but there's a lot of optimism for what's going to come next. And after reading this issue, I fully agree. There's definitely some interesting parts that I am looking forward to. Christian Frost kind of stepping up and having a bigger role is something that I think I was not expecting, but I'm very curious to see how that's going to like play out. I really like the art in this issue as well. So I'm very happy with the artist choice. I think that it just like Kitty 
Pride was just really pretty. Um, there's optimism with what's going on and these heavier books while having the Trial of Magneto and Inferno all at once was a little too much. The post-Inferno world is going to be really interesting. You know, everything you said, really, I'm so glad to hear that there's a positive momentum. And speaking of Christian Frost and other queers that enjoy standing in the shadow of Emma Frost and positive momentum, Stephen, I would love to know how you feel about this sort of, because I'm going to to be honest, you know, we've been friends for 20 years. And if there's one thing I know you really don't care for, it's having to do a lot of work to figure out the order to read your comics in. And I can't imagine all this one shotage is exactly what you were looking for. But how do you feel? One shots are definitely a little stressful for me because then I have to do a whole lot of research and where it fits in. I love annuals. So I'm glad for once I'm actually like starting <laughs> like in I don't know how to explain this. I am so sorry. The ground floor of it makes yes, it less stressful than right. having to go back and do the research that you would ultimately ask me to do. I was literally just about to say instead of me having to constantly ask you where I'm going. <laughs> so, I will say, Marvel's yes. placement of annuals is not always perfect, but I have enjoyed it way more than DC's use of annuals over the last oh know, my gosh five, yes. ten years, whereas DC drops annuals just literally as an extra drop on those five Wednesday months, but it is like part three of six in a freaking story going on, and it's right in between issues 41 and 42 or something, and like you can't read, like, where it's just another issue of the series, but instead of being numbered in line with the series, it's the annual, and it fucks up, like, the whole organization or making sure you've got, so, like, we'll give Marvel credit, like, they are doing better. Absolutely. I'm really actually relieved. Steve Orlando really really did try to stick to the storyline that Duggan had. I did feel like the issue was a little bit paint by numbers in terms of like gathering the new team and then going forward from there. I am looking forward to seeing how this team plays out in the future, but this, it did feel like a continuation, which was nice. So it's easy for people to keep reading and pick up and they know where they are in the story. I liked this a lot. Like I really want to come in with Steve Orlando. We have discussed his work a few times on the show, most notably his man thing where we said we would love it if steve orlando's man thing would continue to grace us and now instead we're getting you know some rude ass marauders and i'm really into it we have always thought that there's sort of a sense of steve orlando has such a strong powerful dynamic voice and like a grant morrison where you know when cassandra nova says it it's really creepy because frank quietly drew her like pudding but when cyclops says it it's really sexy because bacalo draws him like an underwear model made of minecraft cubes so it works you know um there's just certain writers who have very specific tonal voices to their work and i would like to start our discussion with the as steven pointed out big switch from dugan's perspective now i think steve orlando's voice is a very modern queer voice and i mean that very positively steve orlando being a bisexual man and i'm very here for the queer i did think in many ways the voicing on the characters felt like it was stuck in one gear and one emotional place 
which left a lot of the power that I was looking for from Dugan's emotions kind of off to the side. But I still really enjoyed a lot of what the characters did. How did everybody feel about sort of the voicing and tonal characterization of our team? Our team being Kate Bishop, not Kate Bishop, as Josh has had the same problem several times. So we're going to go Bishop, Kate, Iceman, Psylocke, Dokken, Tempo, Aurora, Somnus, Christian Frost, Emma Frost, and Sebastian Shaw. God, what a cast. How'd you guys feel? So I, I want to start off. There's some of the characterization I think was a little difficult for me, and it wasn't in the the text we're getting in the dialogue. And I don't know if this was, you know, not seeing Steve Orlando's script, if these were notes from the writer or the way that Priestley was drawing them, but there were some things visually that threw me off. It messed with my read on the character. So for example, the fact that I opened the book and thought that the opening page was uh, featured Iron Fist messed me up some. Like, in terms of, like, having to be like, wait, this is... This this is Daken because this looks a hell of a lot like Iron Fist as we're getting started. I actually went to, uh, he's wearing that again. <laughs> So. I love this look. I, I know that Dark Wolverine wasn't everybody's style, but if there's something that it mirrors, it mirrors the Joe Mad non-human Logan look. And I know that the non-human Logan look is, you know, not good. But this is specifically the idea that the inhumanity of Logan in that period and sort of the sort of sense of courtly Japanese honor games that Logan was embroiled with around that era of the comic has tried transitioned into Dokken, who was a modern representation of that lack of humanity, but in a gorgeous wrapping. So I sort of do like this costume, but I know that it references a costume that everybody doesn't love and that the run it was in itself isn't even a favorite. And I mean, and that's a consistent as we're getting, you know, retro costume rewind, you know, randomly inserted throughout the Krukokoan era. That's one of those things that, you know, we always have pop up and it's maybe just personal opinion, but the Conan crying in front of Kate. I was about to mention that. Like, that was very that's weird. That's not in the text. I was reading, actually but surprised. The characterization on that kind of threw me. The know? idea that she just stands around, like you could just randomly find her crying when you have to go grab her for something. I get the you know the tragedy of the daughter loss. I think it's an interesting story beat to continue to address. But the idea that she just walks in and she's just standing there weeping was a, a bit odd to me. Without, I, I yeah, without Angelo Battalamente's music telling me that in the next episode of Twin Peaks, Laura <laughs> is going to make an appearance, I absolutely I, cannot handle so, this tears. I actually think we could have gotten the exact same feeling that he was going for without the tears. Like, the exact same, like, looks on her face, but just no tears. And I would have been like, okay, I could see what, what's happening here. And, and I think this is a big part of maybe my concern of the character in this is, and it's not just a Steve Orlando thing, but it's a transition from Jerry Duggan to Steve Orlando, where I think the highest praise that we gave Duggan over and over again over the last year and a half easy, if not the entire run of Marauders, is the unique voice and agency that every female character has. And how rare is it to see a book written by a white cishet male that has multiple female characters with unique voice and agency. And it was, it was was fantastic. So from the start of this, we have an Emma who only briefly appears but is surprisingly reserved. We have a Kate who snarkiness or quippiness of Kate. And she's no gate Kate and she just got done being a bullet. So like I feel like she's just had a tough time of it. More tough than most. 
yeah uh, yeah but but i mean like the the french thing with shaw at the end like there were just it was a little bit aurora, aurora does not feel like what leah williams wrote for 10 issues the consistency in that critique is that it's the female characters that we were spoiled with having these amazing strong unique voices for the last two and a half years well then let's talk to a strong unique female voice i wasn't too upset about the portrayal of the women in this comic kate does have so much history and she is such a strong leader but it did with Quanin a little bit kind of feel like oh she's just kind of there yeah I mean I had a similar similar feeling about it I mean like part of it is the nature of this sort of we're getting the gang together issue where you, yeah. it, you know it is a little pain by numbers as has been said before like there are beats that you kind of have to hit unless you're really going to subvert the trope which did not happen here uh, and that's fine but you know it there's a lot of sort of mechanics that you have to get into to get everybody together that sort of doesn't leave as much room for unique voice, which leaves me hopeful for the future of this book. And, you know, when we get into the actual issues, we'll be able to get a little more of that. I saw, I mean, Aurora, I'm still kind of not sure of as a character and where she's going, but she does seem to be building up a confidence that I felt like we got here with Tempo. We got sort of this flawed, aimless person who has been waiting for somebody to come collect her and Bishop shows up and does exactly that. I thought I'm very happy that we got queer confirmation on page that she's dating somebody too bad. She's kind of a disaster, but I'm really rooting for her. There was some good stuff and and there was some bad stuff. Well, great thing about Steve Orlando is we never have to worry about not getting queer confirmation on page. True. Um, And yeah, in terms of the paint by number, it's the type of thing I think we all kind of knew coming in. Hey, new team, get the gang together. Like, there's a chance that maybe it does something special and reaches above or beyond that. But, you know, we knew more, more more than likely it was going to be this. And then, you know, and that really maybe kind of puts more pressure on like the voices and like the interplay dynamics, like the smaller moments of things we would like. There were definitely things I liked in this book. Like this isn't a total panning. While I said, you know, that I, I had questions about and I don't know what the choice was for, you know, some of the emotions that we saw from Creed. Lee. Uh, I also want to say that Chris Lee draws a beautiful, just beautiful Lucas Bishop. Yeah, yes. and there was a very 90s thickness to a lot of the art. Like, this could have been, in many ways, like a late X-Force issue. Like, there was so much about this that really had so much going for it. I mean, I did maybe think Brimstone Love was cringe. <laughs> I have um, opinions about Brimstone Love, actually, but I'll get but into like, that later. But, like, good cringe, maybe. Like, I felt like a lot of this issue felt, for the most part, like a bunch of hot dudes and a bunch of drag queens playing a bunch of characters I really like. And also, Brimstone Love is that Dom you just know to avoid at the club. He's all about the you being in pain, even if that's not what you're into. And, like, I felt, for the most part, like the art, which was really unique and bold told a lot of the story this is lee's debut issue from marvel correct and it shows a lot of promise i absolutely loved the art and the coloring on this book like i I already said it kate is just so pretty but just the colors are very vibrant and even though love is kind of cringe 
like the art for him was absolutely incredible. While I did like the art in this issue, I just wasn't as big a fan personally of the transition from the very signature, signature styles of Lolly and Noto. But it's a transition that I'm looking forward to. When it comes to Brimstone... I actually, I, I've been saying this since I saw the preview image, but he reminds me of, I don't know if anybody here plays Magic the Gathering, but he reminds me of this demon called Rakdos. And and Rakdos literally has the theater of pain. So, so something that I, I was actually kind of expecting was like a grander theater of pain, more black and reds and fire. And then we got this like wooden stage and I was very confused by that when they were calling that the theater of pain but i'm really excited to hear that all of you guys know who rakdos is (laughs) now there's some other things that i think really do play a large part in this story and i think for me one of those significant things is you can kind of chart orlando's fandom throughout the narrative of the book in a lot of ways i think one of the things that stands out the most is the ways he chooses to focus on individual moments there's a lot of interplay on wolverine on wolverine geez there's a lot of interplay on dokken that's clearly sort of a stand-in for how wolverine would have been use wolverine wasn't in this issue but was in like five like wolverine's had a shadow over this issue in this team due to the role he plays in the lives of kate and akiro like even though he wasn't here he was present yeah crafting a narrative that sort of didn't involve gene didn't involve Logan, didn't involve Scott or Xavier or Magneto in any meaningful way. Now, admittedly, he did take a number of heavy hitters, and there's no question that he does have Kate and Psylocke and Dokken. This is a a pretty big cast, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting was the sort of blending across time that this book really is exemplifying here. There is a lot of the recent run of X Factor and seeing a queer person take on a number of the characters from the recent run of X-Factor with regard and honor to the sort of designs and style that, you know, was so central to that book is a really lovely thing. But I also think there's a lot of potential in seeing this exploration of late 80s, early 90s with Tempo and Bishop. And once again, the reemergence of Kate as an adult and Psylocke as her own person, who in many ways also is tied to Wolverine in that regard. Well, and I mean, a big part of the Krakow Cohen era is that, you know, writers had the freedom to take big swings. I feel like this Marauder series can. I feel like Steve Orlando's holding back a little with this and he's not necessarily taking his swing yet because this is his issue zero, but he's kind of getting the cast together, you know, setting us up and reminding us of, you know, who's from X Factor, who's from here. Um, in terms of the ones that you said, you know, have uh, characters gaining their own autonomy in the Krakoan era and that he was picking up on them as their own pieces, you know, um, Aurora and Deken, also ones who have finally begun to start really living their own lives and defining themselves not as extensions of another character, but as themselves. You know, there's a theme in, in terms of who he chose here. Brimstone Love definitely feels a bit like a poser. Like, all right, he laid a thread for 
like a first season big bad but also like the first season big bad wasn't the best like i'm not that threatened by the late train that is brimstone love oh no I yeah mean, the fact that like i mean you compared him to like an outspoken dom in like a sex club I was thinking of him as the um, the MC at like drag cabaret night. Like those aren't necessarily like the big horrifying like. It's Rob Zombie watch. as the MC in cabaret. I get it now. Yes, <laughs> I, I was expecting a little bit more like pure charisma, but it didn't. It's real Dragula. <laughs> I, well, it's in the I, middle. That's the it thing. Is. It's not yeah. frightening because Crease, as as we've all said, the. These characters are beautiful. And so while beautiful might be a strength, I don't know that horror necessarily is as much. So in terms of making this, you know, striking or fearful, um, you know, this character didn't impart that. Hopefully that, you know, the... Um, the, the secret benefactor um, is is a thread that pays off down the line. But there was one line I really loved from this concept. Like, I felt like the concept of these people being left behind by Krakoa played a little false. Like, it was interesting. And then they really hit it in one panel. An angry villager with a rake goes, we dedicated our lives to you. Now you punish us for how we were born. And Conan uh, snaps back, a safe home for mutants is not persecution for humans. And I feel like that was the one spot where he he really honed in and 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 struck gold with this concept that I would like to see be kind of like the background of sentiment that Marauders is constantly dealing with here. I think that's a that's a beautiful theme to kind of respond to from the real world and use this team in era for. I agree. I actually, I really liked that line as well, because a lot of the commentary about this era from people who haven't so much enjoyed it is that the mutants are now the villains in the story, and they're keeping humans out, and this is, they're, they're becoming so, you know... Two uh, Rachel Bloom singing the villain in my own story. Tell me you're yes. a privileged straight white man without telling me you're a privileged straight white man. So if I can transition us for a moment... This is the horniest issue of X-Men ever. Yes. Maybe. Every Steve Orlando debut issue on a title is the horniest issue of that title ever. And I I said in our lead up to this, like when we covered the final issue of Marauders, that like the one thing I am expecting and know I'll get that I am already here for is, you know, a high quotient of gay sex in my X-Men issues. So I, you know, I could, I, Steve Orlando is out here bringing it like Sean Cody Bellamy style for everybody to enjoy and i just think he's you know i have a lot of concerns about what they're doing with Iceman. i think the last thing we need is a white queer saying that he is better than everybody else and i have a lot of concerns about the general direction of pushing bobby further away from humanity so the fact that steve orlando started this issue off with everybody gay horny was like the thing I needed to comfort me. I'm like a like I'm like a cat and I'm being stroked real nice right now. I'm like, oh, okay. I can I can do another issue of this. Okay. And I think he's the right person to kind of bring Bobby down to earth in terms of powers and mission and maybe elevate him little a little bit in terms of lots of hot, horny gay sex. 
Did anyone else get like hard Grace vibes when we were talking about like Dickens' former lovers and then we jumped to a picture of Iceman and Christian Frost because we didn't go straight to Somnus. We went to Iceman and them and with like the dancing at like the party, it felt very much like gay dance, like toxic dance fight thing that Dickens and Bobby had in, in Cinegrace's Iceman. Yeah, absolutely. I do have a question about Somnus. So I know that his power is being described as Orneomancy, but isn't he just, I don't know, a telepath? Well, you know, let's just be clear that this character has so few appearances right now that I kind of don't care. This is full-on Sauron for me. I care. You know? I just don't care yet. I need you to have, like, 24 appearances before I care. All right. Superman was the word took there? 40 years to fly, you know? And this is going to be his time to do that. I mean, you know, Steve Orlando created this character. One of the things that I really appreciate is when a writer comes on and makes very clear, like, I have specific things that I like, and I have specific characters that I'm into, like Brimstone Love. Like, he just decided this completely nonsense character from 2099 was going to be something that he's going to pull in. He created an Aniromancer and that is gay and that's going to be like a big viewpoint character for us. And this will be sort of I think the trial by fire for Somnus. If he shines in this book, he could be a very interesting addition to the mutant pool overall. But you know, he might fall flat and just be a character that nobody else ever gets interested in using. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. I mean, I I will say that I am really enjoying him. I love the of his costume so i am looking forward to more i was just really intrigued by what his actual abilities are yeah, um, his costume is i just want to his costume is straight up like fabu nova shatterstar it is like shatterstar dialed up to gay 11 and like shatterstar himself would be like may i wear that like he would be so into it i feel like i'm always holding my breath like waiting for the shoe to drop with aurora especially after leia handled her so beautifully and i don't really love the way that did is portrayed in comic books i'm always hesitant no matter how much i enjoy the writer to see how they're going to handle something like that in their book i don't know if anybody else has has a similar uh concern we we absolutely have talked about did extensively on this show if anybody would like to hear some discussion on did featuring our crew talking about it in the pages of moon knight now we have a term that we use on this show which is rockstar run and rockstar run refers to it when somebody is like i'm coming in here is my statement and it's what i'm doing and I have to wonder if this semi-cute puzzle box ripoff that's not quite the puzzle box, so I just don't feel like as much blood is going to come pouring out of it. I right? have such sights to show you. Right? I am so I'm eager to know how this is going to play out. I think this is a thing that the X-Men love to do, you know, and this is something that's literally going on in the pages of Avengers by Aaron right now. So it's not like the craziest idea. And I think that plays back into our by the numbers question from earlier. And I think, I think my closing thought on this issue is this is queer paint by the numbers. I'm here for the rainbow, right? And I know that Steve Orlando builds over time. So here's to some more Orlando going forward. How do you guys feel? I definitely like the mystery aspect where it's like, wait, we just got the Krakoan language. Why is this from like suddenly 
Krokoan that's been around forever. So I really hope it's not going to be a cop out because I feel like a lot of times with like big puzzles and mysteries lately in comics, there's been like cop outs. But I'm really interested to see what this whole thing is because I just I love Kate and I want to see just so much of her and this new lineup seems pretty interesting. So I I personally am excited for it. How confident are we that Steve Orlando understands how big a number two billion with a b is i'm dr evil cackling to josh's question (laughs) i think there's just going to be some timey wimey stuff where the team or or just kate who knows are sent back that far into was it prehistoric (laughs) times and and because like clearly i don't know the ramifications of two billion thank you it is pre-dinosaur it is way deep down the butthole of time (laughs) so oh my god what if it ties into avengers 1 billion bc okay so (laughs) again that's avengers 1 billion bc is only (laughs) half that distance billion billion that again okay yeah well um if anybody can do it it's my precious phoenix but i mean uh yeah okay that's that's okay steve orlando buddy i need you to call me we got to talk about some numbers because i believe in you and i believe in your ability to number i just want to number with you and feel a little bit more confident and you know your hands hey we we do not know what we're gonna see on panel when it comes to the potential flashback or whatever it's going to be two billion years ago it could be a very barren wasteland barren wasteland is my favorite classic captain america villain 